European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance, Volume 41, Issue 30, Focus Issue, Atrial Fibrillation, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Lucia, read to you by Morgan Bryan. Optimizing Management of Atrial Fibrillation, Integrated Care, Blood Pressure Control, Ablation, and Left Atrial Appendix Occlusion. Atrial fibrillation is the most common arrhythmia and increases in incident and prevalence with age with hypertension among other factors. While symptoms are usually mild, the major complication of atrial fibrillation is stroke. To avoid such a devastating complication, attempts are made to further improve care of such patients with anticoagulation, blood pressure control and other measures. In their article, Integrated Management of Atrial Fibrillation in Primary Care, Results of the All-In Cluster Randomized Trial, Carleen Jo van der Dries and colleagues from the University Medical Center in Utrecht in the Netherlands report the results of their cluster-randomized, open-label, pragmatic non-inferiority trial in which 26 primary care practices were assigned to either integrated care or usual care. The integrated care consisted of 1. Quarterly atrial fibrillation checkups by trained nurses focusing on possible interfering comorbidities 2. Monitoring of anticoagulation and finally, three, easy access to consultation by cardiologists and anticoagulation clinics. All-cause mortality rate was 3.5 per 100 patient years in the intervention versus 6.7 per 100 patient years in the control arm, with an adjusted hazard ratio of 0.55 and for non-cardiovascular mortality, 0.47. Thus, in this cluster randomized trial, Integrated care for elderly AF patients in primary care markedly reduces mortality compared to usual care, a provocative finding further discussed in an editorial by Cecilia Linder from the Karolinska Hospital in Stockholm, Sweden. Hypertensives are at particular risk of atrial fibrillation. Furthermore, in hypertensive patients, J-shaped association between achieved systolic and diastolic blood pressure and cardiovascular events has been repeatedly described. Whether a similar association might exist with oral anticoagulation is unknown. In their article, Cardiovascular Outcomes, Bleeding Risk and Achieved Blood Pressure in Patients on Long-Term Anticoagulation with the Thrombin Antagonist Dabigatran or Warfarin, data from the RELY trial. Michael Baum and colleagues from the University Hospital in Homburg, Saarland, Germany, report their sub-analysis of the RELY trial that randomized 18,113 patients with atrial fibrillation. On treatment, systolic blood pressure greater than 140 millimeters of mercury and less than 120 millimeters of mercury was associated with all-cause death compared with systolic blood pressure 120 to 130 millimeters of mercury as a reference. For systemic embolism, risk was unchanged as systolic blood pressure less than 110 millimeters of mercury but increased between 140 to 160 millimeters of mercury with an adjusted hazard ratio of 1.81 and greater than or equal to 160 millimeters of mercury with one of 3.35. Major bleedings were surprisingly increased at a systolic blood pressure of less than 110 millimeters of mercury and at 110 to less than 120 millimeters of mercury while there was no increased risk of major bleeding at systolic blood pressure greater than 130 millimeters of mercury. Similar patterns were observed for diastolic blood pressure, 
with an increased risk of less than 70 millimeters of mercury with a hazard ratio of 1.55 and greater than 90 millimeters of mercury with one of 1.88 for all cause death compared to 70 to less than 80 millimeters of mercury as a reference. Risk for any bleeding was increased at low diastolic blood pressure less than 70 millimeters of mercury with a hazard ratio of 1.46 and 1.13 at 80 to less than 90 millimeters of mercury without increased risk at higher achieved values. The Bigatran 150 milligrams bid showed an advantage in all patients for all cause death and systemic embolization and there was an advantage for 110 milligrams de Bigatran bid for major bleeding and any bleeding irrespective of achieved blood pressure. Similar results were obtained for baseline, time updated and blood pressure as time varying covariate. Thus low achieved systolic blood pressure associates with increased risk of death, systemic embolization and bleeding in patients with atrial fibrillation on oral anticoagulation, while major bleeding events were not increased at higher blood pressure. Low blood pressure might identify high-risk patients, not only for death, but also for bleeding, as further pointed out in an editorial by Gregory Lipp from the University of Liverpool in the United Kingdom. Optimal treatment for patients with atrial fibrillation and heart failure has been a subject of debate for many years, but recently randomised and real-world trials suggested benefits of ablation compared to conservative management of atrial fibrillation. In their article, Rhythm control for patients with atrial fibrillation complicated with heart failure in the contemporary era of catheter ablation, a stratified pooled analysis of randomized data. Xiao Jai Chen and colleagues from the Cardioangiologische Centrum Bethania and Frankfurt am Main in Germany evaluated efficacy and safety of rhythm control strategy in atrial fibrillation complicated with heart failure regarding hard clinical endpoints. Randomized data of 11 studies involving 3,598 patients, including those from the Cabana trial, comparing rhythm control with antiarrhythmic drugs versus rate control in subset A, or rhythm control using catheter ablation versus medical therapy in subset B. As compared with medical rate control, rhythm control with drugs was associated with similar all-cause mortality, but significantly higher rates of rehospitalization and similar rates of stroke and thromboembolic events. However, as compared with medical therapy, rhythm control with catheter ablation was associated with a significantly lower all-cause mortality, with an odds ratio of 0.51 and a reduced rehospitalization rate with one of 0.44, but a similar rate of stroke and greater improvements in LVEF, less arrhythmia recurrence, and greater improvement in quality of life. Thus, in atrial fibrillation with heart failure, rhythm control with catheter ablation improves survival, reduces rehospitalization, increases changes of maintained sinus rhythm, contributes to cardiac recovery, and improves quality of life. These impressive findings are put into context in a thoughtful editorial by Ross Hunter and colleagues from the Bart's Health NHS Trust in London, the United Kingdom. Regarda syndrome is characterized by a unique ECG pattern and life-threatening arrhythmias. However, the type 1 Brigada ECG pattern is often transient and a genetic cause is only identified in less than a quarter. In their article, an autoantibody profile detects Brigada syndrome 
and identifies abnormally expressed myocardial proteins by Robert Murray Hamilton and colleagues from the Hospital for Sick Children in Toronto, Canada. They sought to identify an additional biomarker. As myocardial inflammation may be present in Brigada syndrome, they evaluated whether myocardial antibodies could be detected in these patients compared to controls. All two-dimensional gels exposed to sera from Brugada patients demonstrated specific antibodies to four proteins, i.e. alpha-cardiac actin, alpha-skeletal actin, keratin, and connexin-43, but not in controls confirmed in a validation cohort. Thus a biomarker profile of antibodies against four cardiac proteins is highly sensitive and specific irrespective of genetics of Brugada syndrome. The four involved proteins along with the SCN5A encoded NAV1.5A subunit are expressed abnormally in the myocardium of Brugada patients. These discoveries are put into context in an editorial by Arthur Wilder and colleagues from the Academic Medical Center in Amsterdam, the Netherlands. Most thrombi formed in atrial fibrillation are located in the left atrial appendix. The seclusion of this left atrial structure with various devices has been developed. In a clinical research article entitled Left Atrial Appendage Occlusion with the Amplatzer Amulet Device Full Results of the Prospective Global Observational Study David Hildick-Smith and colleagues from the Sussex Cardiac Centre in Brighton, United Kingdom evaluated the safety and efficacy of left atrial appendage occlusion with the Amplatzer amulet occluded in 1,088 patients. Implant success was 99.1%. Major adverse events within seven days post-procedure occurred in 4%, including death, 0.3%, stroke, 0.4%, major vascular, 1.3%, and device embolization, 0.2%. 80% of patients were discharged on antiplatelet therapy alone. Peri-device flow was less than 3 mm in 98.4% at follow-up transesophageal echocardiography. Device-related thrombos was seen in 1.6%. At two years, cardiovascular death or ischemic stroke occurred in 8.7%. The ischemic stroke rate was 2.2% per year a 67% reduction compared to the CHAD-VASC's predicted rate. Major bleeding occurred at rates of 10.1% in the first year and 4.0% in year two. Thus, following left atrial appendage occlusion with the Amplatzo amulet device, the ischemic stroke rate was reduced by 67% compared to the predicted risk. Closure was completed in 98.4% and device-related thrombos seen in only 1.6%. These results are compared with the current literature in a thoughtful editorial by David Holmes from the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, USA. In a current opinion contribution entitled Somatic Mosaicism – Implications for the Cardiovascular System, Kenneth Walsh and colleagues from the Boston University Medical Campus in Boston, Massachusetts, USA, discusses this interesting subject with commonly underestimated clinical implications. The issue was also complemented in various discussion forum contributions, in a contribution entitled Narrow or Broad QRS Tachycardia? Does 120 milliseconds matter? Christoph Blaschik and Adrian Gwizdala from the Poznan University of Medical Sciences in Wielkopolski, Poland, comment on the recent 
2019 ESC Guidelines for the Management of Patients with Supraventricular Tachycardia The Task Force for the Management of Patients with Supraventricular Tachycardia of the European Society of Cardiology, or ESC. In a contribution entitled Identifying Coronary Artery Disease Patients at Risk for Sudden and or Arrhythmic Death, Remaining Limitations of the Echocardiogram, Babken, Asatrian and colleagues from the Inspital Universitatsspital Bern in Switzerland comment on the recent publication entitled Simple Echocardiographic Measures Improve Sudden Arrhythmic Death Prediction in Coronary Disease by Neil Chatterjee and colleagues from the University of Washington in Seattle, Washington, USA. Chatterjee et al. respond in a separate comment. In a contribution entitled Machine Learning-Based Mortality Prediction how to be connected to daily clinical practice? Won Hol Kim and Jin Tae Kim from the Seoul National University Hospital in the Republic of Korea discussed the recent publication, Machine Learning-Based Mortality Prediction of Patients Undergoing Cardiac Resynchronization Therapy, the Semmelweis CRT score, by Martin Tokodi and colleagues from the Semmelweis University in Budapest, Hungary. Tokodi et al. respond in a separate comment. In a contribution entitled Fabuxostat and Atrial Fibrillation, Mazanari Kuwabara and colleagues from the Taranamon Hospital in Tokyo, Japan, comment on the recent publication entitled Comparative Effectiveness of Allopurinol and Fabuxostat for the Risk of Atrial Fibrillation in the Elderly, a propensity-matched analysis of Medicare claims data, by Jasvinder Singh and colleagues from the University of Alabama in Birmingham in the United States. Finally, in a contribution entitled Hip Fracture Risk in Patients with Atrial Fibrillation Receiving Oral Anticoagulants, a meta-analysis based on current observational studies, Ching Hui Lo and colleagues from the Hualien Tzu Chi Hospital comment on the recent publication entitled Fracture Risk Among Patients with Atrial Fibrillation Receiving Different Oral Anticoagulants, a real-world nationwide cohort study by H.K. Huang et al., the authors respond in a separate comment. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its listeners.